0: Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is an important listen. Sharon rejoined Rory to discuss what it's been like for the last few months living in her car after she was made homeless. What it's meant in terms of family separation and how she couldn't give up her pets as well as leave the area that she's made her home for over 20 years. Uh, It's a hard listen but I think it's a really necessary one. Now, inappropriately, I have to ask you that if you're interested, if you like what we do, check out We're Going Live in Ballymun in November. Tickets are available now on Eventbrite.ie. Click on the link, check the tortoise shack, you will find tickets available there. And also, these podcasts rely on you. We've no ads, no sponsors. We need you to pay it forward. The conversations matter. Well, the content is free. It does have a value. I think you'll find that it really does have a value when you hear that the work that goes into trying to get these stories across. And if you can, if you think there's a value to it, please join us on Patreon.com forward slash TortoiseCheck. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for telling your stories. I won't delay you any further. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today we are discussing and chatting to Sharon, who has been on with us before um, a number of times, and Sharon is homeless, um, is living out of her car at the moment. And um, we talked to Sharon a couple of times already about her experience and initially when she was in Um, a rental home and then, um, had to leave because the landlord was moving back in, um, and discussed the loss of that. Um, and it is a very important conversation because there are so many people who are losing their homes at the moment, um, in the private rental sector. And, you know, the figures are phenomenal in terms of, you know, we've, um, 20% of our population, you know, almost a million people are living in the private rental sector and, um we've seen you know thousands of notices to quit issued in the last um year and for everyone living in the private rental sector they're living in a state of insecurity um and this really something has to be done the government is minister is moving um to introduce a, an eviction ban we hope um but really it needs to be longer than just a few months while that will give some respite it needs to be really Uh, As I've said before, three years is what we need, but minimum eighteen months. Otherwise, uh, people are left in this crisis situation. Sharon, um, thanks so much for coming back to talk to us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: It it can't be easy at all um, to be talking to us now. Um, I can see you. We're we're doing this virtually via Zoom. I can see you in your car. Um, There's clearly not a lot of room there. You have all your a lot of no. things there. How how are you doing?
2: I'm okay. I mean, it's been over three months now, so it's a lot longer than I thought I would be. I thought by September I would have had something, and yeah. I sure didn't. And the weather turned a lot faster this year. I usually um, we have quite a nice autumn, and
1: it's
2: yeah. up and down, but certainly uh, I was swimming every day, you know, for mental health and just yeah. to get – and to stay clean, you know. And yeah. – um that stopped quite suddenly, you know, there was an incident where I nearly drowned. And so, uh, I had to, I just haven't been, you know, I haven't been able to swim because the weather has been so agitated. There's the Atlantic ocean is very unpredictable. And so, um, that, that really stopped about almost two weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I, I I think there's a practicality of everyday living when you're in the car that like, (sighs) I have to do this, and I have to be making mental lists in your head. I have to remember this, I have to do that. I am in town, so I need to do these errands. I need to go get the ice for the cooler for the before I get the food, and then you know to get this and that and the petrol and to remember to while I'm there doing laundry, I have to remember to fill up the water bottles and you know kind of like a camping mentality of a list of things that you always have to remember, yeah. but also there's like you know you get to a point of organizing in your head so much. That I stopped during the week and I thought, am I getting an anxiety disorder? <laughs> you know, I have to, everything I do seems to be so important to remember to go to the bathroom or do this or do that or don't drink too much or don't eat too much. Because, you know, your your life revolves around eating and going to the bathroom and driving and not getting too low on fuel and making sure you have enough this and that and that everyday kind of survival. You know, and you think like, I'm actually so organized at this stage that am I, am I, am I going nut? Am I driving myself crazy? You yeah, know, because yeah. everything is important, you yeah. know, was I've had no moment of worrying about safety. And then Saturday night, some guy drove up to me at 11, 10 o'clock, 1045 at night, almost 11 on a Saturday night. It was a break in the howling wind and rain. And he drove up to my car and rolled down his window, and he wanted to talk to me. He says, oh, I saw you on television. I know who you are, and I found you finally. And I could not – I'm not exaggerating when I said that really freaked me out. Yeah. And he left, and I couldn't see his face. I could only hear that he had a Dublin accent. And he says, oh, I live around here. And I wasn't sure what he expected me to say. Like, I'm a single woman in a car, by herself, in the dark where there's nobody around and you think it's okay to approach me and have a conversation at 11 o'clock at night.
1: Yeah.
2: Like I, as soon as he left and he ended up leaving shortly after I actually drove away and moved because, you know, but like I I'm lucky to say that that's only the time, the only time that I've ever had a moment of worry, but you have to be prepared for those kinds of things all the time. I don't get out of the car without my key. I don't get into the car without locking it. You know, I'm, all the things that you need to think of, it's just by the time you get to the end of the day, you either can't shut down or you're so exhausted that you just conk out because your body is – your brain is just into overdrive of thinking, thinking, thinking all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's, And at some stage, then it starts kicking into your mental health where even though you don't feel like anything is wrong, I'm pretty mentally healthy and I don't feel like, oh, I'm fine. I say to everybody, "How are you doing?" I'm fine. I will say I'm fine, especially if I don't know somebody, because I'm not going to tell them I'm not fine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's moments when I've thought I'm really not fine, I'm yeah. really not, you know, because you go through, you go through a period of grieving the life that you left.
1: Yeah.
2: Where all of a sudden, you know, from J- July the eighth, I didn't have my son. He had to go stay with family because I had nowhere for him, yeah, um, I didn't have a house. I had lost both of my cats, and luckily, I found one of them anyways. The other one I'm still looking for, and I'm in my car, and everything I have no routine that's hardly my life was unrecognizable, yeah. you know, I just thought you just think of and people that don't know and and genuinely like they don't mean it to be rude, but like they'll say, "Oh my God, I can't wait for a duvet day." And I'm sitting there like, you don't know what I would do for a duvet day. To be inside, in my pajamas, watching a movie on a nasty day. You know, at this stage, maybe because I've said I'm fine so many times, like over the weekend, the car was rocking. Rocking with wind. And it was like buckets of water were being chucked at the car. If I had to get out of the car, I was drenched. And I actually had to fight to open the door. It was rain. It was so windy it was it was over. It was probably about sixty kilometers an hour and nobody called to check and see if I was okay in the morning. I mean actually, that shocks me because I think like I can't imagine if I had a friend in the same situation, even if I didn't have space to really help them like stay in my house or whatever. you know the The mental health part of it kicks in when you realize there's a lot of people that really weren't your friends. That, you know, even if they can't let you stay at their house, they can give you a, a cup of tea. They can have a conversation with you. Like when you're in a homeless situation, there are three things that are critical, like some kind of a routine just to keep you going. Yeah. And exercise. Like when I was swimming every day, it was to wash, but it was also for my my head.
1: Yeah, I absolutely.
2: So much better when I came out of the water. Yeah. Um, and also, and just talking to people, just having interaction. Yeah. And, you know, the days when it's terrible weather and I have no one to talk to, there's no one I can go visit. Um, Like, literally, a cup of tea goes a long, long way. Yeah. And I've heard lots of other people that are homeless say that to me as well, that, like, you just start to disappear to people. Yeah. They just, Probably, on some level, it might be because they don't know what to say, they feel bad. Or they feel guilty. Maybe they could help and don't want to. I mean, there is that. But they avoid you because they don't know what to do socially. And I'm going to say, just be a normal human being. Be decent. You know, I've had total strangers be nicer than people that I expected to let me come do the odd load of laundry, have a cup of tea, just get out of the car just to get out of the car. Sometimes when you're in a small space for a long time, you don't realize that how much you just need to get out and walk around or swim or sit in someone's house and just have a normal interaction and, you know, just hear information. Maybe they have information about a house that you can call about or anything. I mean, truthfully, yeah. it doesn't even have to be about that. Just to be friends, just to be compassionate, you yeah. know? Um, so I think people maybe worry that they can't solve the problem as much, you know, but it really is about listening, you know, that sometimes when just, just have someone there to hear you and know that you're, to know where you are, to know that you're safe, to, to, to actually the odd text message to check on you. I mean, if you, if you don't have those routines and it's just, it is, its the strongest person will struggle to survive
1: yeah.
2: because you just start to drift. You don't know what day it is after a while. I have to look at my phone to know, like, is it the 17th? Is it the 18th? I don't know. I think it's September. Wait, no, it's not September. It's October. What are you crazy? You just don't have anything to fixate on in a routine. If you're not working, if you are, I mean, all of these things anchor you in the, in the here and now and the present. And when you're homeless, that your home is your anchor, your yeah. home is your, you know, so, you know, that is the struggle, you know, I know that I am cranky and I'm inclined to just take things too personally when I've been stuck in the car for a couple of days.
1: Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Like, it's just... <laughs> You know, as you say, I I really struck there by you know some things you said. You know, grieving the life that you know you've lost, and um, you know, in talking to you over the the last, I think it's well over a year now since we we talked first when you were um in your home at the time, and I was struck by how um how clearly and insightfully you communicated, you know, what you know the importance of housing and home and the security. And and two things, you know, you said there, I was really struck by the, the, that, the idea of, you know, that grief that must be part of homelessness, of the loss, as you say, of of that previous life. Um, That not only are you homeless, you're grieving as well. And, and how you're trying to manage that. And then also, um, you know, in terms of quite struck there by what you said, home being an anchor. You know, I've actually never heard that description before. Um, I think it's probably one of the most powerful descriptions I've ever heard of what home is. Um, And it's obviously because you're in the place where you don't have it that you see what it is.
2: Yeah, it's it's a hard one. I mean, I've always been a person, I'm fairly tough. (laughs) I was raised fairly tough. And I don't like to cry. I don't like to cry uh, like a sappy movie. I'll cry. But I mean, I don't like to cry in front of other people. That's always kind of who I am. And after I left the house, I cried six, seven times a day, every day, Mm. every day. And I thought, I swear to God, I should be dehydrated at this stage. And I could not. I'd have to pull the car in and just stop. And then you think like, how did I get here? I didn't do anything wrong, you know. I have never in my life seen the lack of housing that is right now. Not in the U.S., not here. It is absolutely insane. Yeah, that there are between forty-two and fifty houses for all of Cary consistently for the last three months, but even before that, there is just hardly any housing. It's like a Hunger Games situation all the houses are word of mouth there's houses i hear that are rented all of a sudden and i never even heard about them yeah. so there's a few that are moving but then they're not being you know advertised and so unless someone tells you there's not a hope you're going to get them and i just think like at this stage it is past crisis into emergency yeah no- nobody is taking hap even if i find a house That a lot of people are refusing HAP, even though it's technically illegal for them to do so. Yeah. There's a service out there for people to help people into housing, and nobody is, almost nobody is accepting it. And so that is a real problem because it's not a service then at that stage. It's It's useless. Yeah. So if people are at this stage, because it's such an emergency, if people are, you know, trying to, Get it if they're really trying to get people into housing, they should. I think the problem really is that people aren't registered for the RTB. You know, they're not, they don't have their tax clearance certificate. They want cash to survive the emergency that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, just suspend that. Suspend it for two years. Yes, it's tax we should be collecting. Yes, as business people, they should pay tax like everybody else. But right now, There are 166,000 houses that could be rented.
1: Yeah, they're the vacant ones. Yeah, Get
2: them on the market. Actually, absolutely. I mean, as we're going into winter, it's winter enough weather. Now it's getting cold and it's very, very wet already. You know, then you just need to get those houses to market. I don't want to hear about uh, that, that man and his autistic children in tents. I mean, Jesus, there are people out there that have it far, far worse than me. But it's it critical to get those houses on the market. Just get people in housing. And I will say, too, that like, I was I found a mobile home, and I was told that HAP won't pay for it because it's not a permanent structure. What is that about? I, there seems to be some discrimination. Now, I know there's mobiles out there that are lightweight and that are for summer only, but there's also very good ones that are insulated in warm and double-glazed windows, and they're built for people to actually live in. Yeah. And you know, those are better options than the emergency housing. You can cook in them. You have storage. And you can actually have somewhat of a family life in them, you know, even if you have lots of children. But, like, it's certainly better than, like, the refugee direct provision and emergency housing that's there now. And so why won't they pay for that if they're decent quality?
1: You yeah, know that's a very good question. Yeah, it's a very I mean, good question.
2: Well, when you look at some areas around the country already don't have any emergency housing. So, like, it, it, it can't be more... It might end up, at the long run, being less expensive than paying, you know, B&Bs or
1: hotels. just a question, because it is something I know I talked to before, but I know listeners would be, you know, asking this, probably thinking in their head. Why are you not in emergency accommodation?
2: Well, I'm not in emergency accommodation because... One, I had a car. Yeah, if you don't have a car, you don't have that option. Two, I have a cat. I had two cats, yeah. and they were only, and we raised them from when they were three weeks old. And they moved to the U.S. and they moved back again, and they were never lost. So I couldn't bring them into emergency housing, and I, I thought this was when to- you
1: weren't allowed bring them in.
2: You were not allowed to bring any pets into emergency housing. Yeah, but uh, at the end of the day. I wanted to stay in West Cary. Direct like emergency housing is an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah, I couldn't like as things show up word of mouth. I can't check on them and follow up an hour and a half away. And I, I thought it's the summertime. I'll stay here. I'll, I'll commit to a short period of time. Now, because I thought there'd be housing available in September. Now, there's a there's a person that's that's getting together something for me i'm waiting and waiting now at this stage uh but hopefully the end is in sight soon um i I can't say until it's final but um that's why is I, i refuse to give up my my cats um and then when i was looking for both of them when they got lost i couldn't look for them if i wasn't around here either and i and i do feel quite stubbornly like i've lived here almost 20 years yeah and you know a lot of people are being pushed out and of where they live some of them have family living in the area for generations. Some might be new enough to the area, but still, they're part of the community. Their yeah. kids go to school here. You know, I don't think it's right to simply herd people out. And certainly, Kerry and Cork, they don't want it to be seen because of tourism. Because all, all the housing around here is short-term. There's a ton of holiday homes and short-term housing for tourism. There is no lack of that. And I have nothing against tourism. But when you have Irish residents that cannot live, that is where some compromise needs to be made. Now, I'm not an expert. I don't know what the compromise is. But at the end of the day, people have to
1: live. Yeah, they do, of course. You know, businesses
2: now at this stage are starting to pull in and try to get housing for staff because they can't get any staff. Because they can't get anywhere to live. Nobody can relocate for a job because they can't get a place to live, you know. And they were like, "Well, we'll have to bring people in from outside the country." Hello, are you not paying attention? There'll be no one for there. They'll be in the tents as well. There is nowhere for people to live. You know, at this stage, people are living in terror of getting a notice to quit. Yeah, because there's no. So we need these 166,000. Jesus, if a quarter of them went on the market, it would be a huge sigh of relief. But I mean, if we can do anything, I think at this stage, it is such an emergency that they have to do something to get those houses on the market. And all the homeowners I've talked to said, you can't force people to do something. I said, I would hope compassion would bring them forward, that if they are saying, we waive the the tax clearance search for two years until we can get the the building under control. Yeah. Get some sort, I, I think your idea of a of a national building, you know, group just whatever you want to call it guild, whatever whatever label you want to put on it, but just to get a national building program just to get social housing just full tilt build yeah. build train 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 young people men and women to go into the to go into all aspects of the building trade and just build and don't stop until we tell you, you know, that but we have to get those houses on the market. Because it is just, I mean, all the other things are only band-aids. Like, you can get mobile homes and you can get more emergency housing and all this. But this is not how people can live. Those are, are meant to be temporary measures. You know, it's not, I think someone has said that, you know, I was t- listening to someone talk about when they, they're they homeless and they're in a holding pattern and they don't feel like they're really living. And and that's yeah. true. You it's know, not what
1: you feel, you're not living.
2: No, like this last summer like people talking about their summer holidays I was like what what holidays you know like Halloween there's no Halloween deck Christmas I have no intention of celebrating Christmas what would I want to do put a fucking tree in my sorry in my car yeah do I feel like in any way celebrating anything I will be for Christmas my gift for Christmas will be not freezing staying dry my gift for Christmas will be getting out of the car But at least I have the car, you know, temporarily. Now, I do think I'll be sorted in the near future here. But, you know, it is, how can I, someone said, what are you you planning on doing? I was like, I'm not planning anything. How can I plan on anything? I plan where I get my next shower, how I do my laundry, and, you know, keeping my food cold so I don't get food poisoning. You know? Yeah. I mean, I just don't. Trying to eat healthy so that I don't get sick. You know, like literally survival. That's all I can do. Because you're not, you know, I my head, I'm not working because I'm waiting on surgery. And I'm hoping that's going to happen soon. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how people that are working can do this. Or people with small children that they're trying to get their homework done and keep them in a routine. And just keep the wheels moving. I mean, my my hat's off to them because I don't know how they do it. It is yeah. hard to only do yourself, but to actually manage and motivate other people is—I would think—it's just almost beyond what people can do long term.
1: You know? Yeah. No. No. We know it's. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No. We know it's extremely damaging. You know that that length of time. You know when you start going into months and years in homelessness that it is damaging to people and it's, you know, as you say in particular the mental health and to be able to try and you know, hold on to yourself Yeah you know, and your identity and who you are and your sense of self and self, self-esteem and these things that are so core to us that, mm. you know the connections and, you know I, I think that you're right to to fight for your, you know, to stay in your community, in your place, and your pets, and, um, you know, what matters to you. That's the point of what we are as human beings. That's who we are. And, you know, that these things matter. And if you don't have a home in that place, then, you know, as you show, you don't have anything.
2: Well, and I mean, there's such a lack of supports in terms of keeping people from becoming homeless. You know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of intervention to just now. maybe, you know, on the one hand, I do think that like the eviction ban will help
1: that.
2: That's pretty extreme to have to go to that. You know, there's rapid rehousing, rapid rehousing programs that I mean, I suppose what the the difference is, is that there it provides a lot of the supports that are there, but they're kind of housed all together. And the number one thing is they help people at the very beginning find housing because the councils have clout and individual renters do not. Yes. Not have the sway and clout that they do. And, you know, on the RAS scheme that that they are phasing out, that they had long-term contracts to rent units and it helped people get into housing quickly. Well, I don't know if they found that was too difficult or too hard for staff members. I'm not sure why they're phasing it out. But, you know, service, it's a public service they're providing. And service is defined not by the market, is defined by the market, but not by the easiest way to get something done, but by the market's needs, right? And what renters need is help because we can't find these houses. We can't compel them to rent. We don't have that.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: You know, so we need, we need the councils to help us do that. And I know there's yeah. a few that do do it, but they're in the minority yeah. because I know it's difficult. It is a difficult job, but it is actually so needed. And yeah. then once people are in housing, then all the other services kind of piggyback in on behind that is there mental health issues. Is there, do they need to go back to education? Are they working? Do they need help getting work? All these different things to help people kind of get back on an even keel again. They come in after that. But the the cure for ho- for homelessness is housing. Yeah. It's not it's not very technical or difficult. The cure for homelessness is housing, and so we need to get the houses there. We need to help people find them. We need to provide them, like whether they're permanent housing, and we need to get you know. We just need to make sure that you know we're doing everything we can to prevent people from getting there in the first place, especially people with children. It's so hard on children. Um, to have to change schools. Children don't understand if they're very little. I mean, it's, it is so difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, and my, my son is big, but it was very, very difficult for him.
1: How and did it, was, how did it impact on him? How did he feel?
2: He, he had to go leave the country to live with family. He couldn't stay in Ireland. We're separated for the first time in our life. Now he's not a baby, but it's still a very difficult thing. He's lucky. He kind of fell into a job, and he's he's doing he's doing well, you know. But it isn't easy, you know. I mean, it just
1: it wasn't by choice.
2: It wasn't by choice, and he's also a young adult where he's learning a lot, and he doesn't have his parent. Yeah, you know, WhatsApp is not a substitute for parenting.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so at the end of the day, you know. Preventing all of this prevention, you know, we all know the old adage. It is absolutely important to take all the services, which are very good, and house them together, even if it's during the crisis only. But looking at people holistically, getting them housed and helped and through would save us so much money. Yeah,
1: it's been of course
2: Cities over and over and over have proved it works that it's sa- and it saves money, but it also it's not even just about money. Like an accountant, we can't think of people like accountants. The, the the social services and the and the trauma of homelessness. You know, a friend of mine said, you know, and I hadn't I actually hadn't had time to even think about this yet because I'm just day to day. Yeah. But he said, after this, you need to be good to yourself. You need to get some counseling. You've been through a lot. This has actually been very hurtful, and and you need to take some time for yourself. And I was like. Oh, no, once I have a house, I'll be fine. And then I thought about it. And I thought, actually, I'm not fine. She's right. She can see me better than I can see me right now. And she's known me for a long time. She was my neighbor for 11 years. And I thought, she's right. I have been traumatized. I haven't got a physical wound. And I haven't got even an emotional one that I was even thinking about yet. But... It isn't just go away when you when you put somebody in a house too, you know, like kind of getting used to that feeling of being kind of wounded, being the walking wounded when you're homeless. You know, um because you do feel rejected from from society. There's people yeah. that can help you that won't. There's people that can't help you and want to, but there's it's it is shocking to know the amount of people that don't want to know you anymore. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. it is, unfortunately, it's a fact. And like I said, some of it's just people being very uncomfortable and and not knowing what to say or do or feeling guilty. But whatever the reason, people don't meet your eye. They say hi and they keep moving. They don't stop to chat. They don't want to know. Yeah. Or some people think it's, you know, like a, a gimmick. A lot of people think it's so that I'll get a council house. I was like, where are you? There haven't been council houses for years.
1: Yeah. Why would I do? Why would I go to put myself to this?
2: You know, yeah, exactly. Well, people apparently have, and 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 it successfully did get them a council house in the past, but we're at the stage of the crisis where it, that's not happening. There aren't houses. You know, I mean, there's ten years of a wait for council, a lot of council houses and some places more. So there's, I don't have any any dream of that landing at my feet and certainly that's not why i'm doing this you know um but uh, yeah i just think that 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 it is hurtful to know that there's people that were that were fr- people that you were good to i've been good to a lot of people my my sofa has been used by many people i've had i've listened to many people when they were going through a really tough time and it's 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 very hard to know that there's there's about four houses i can go to right now if there was an emergency, if that guy had turned very bad the other night, if something critical had happened, if I got suddenly very ill, if something happened where I needed help, there's four houses I can go to. That is a very small life, out of a very full life, where I was in charge of Cub Scouts, I was on the Parent Teachers Board, I was volunteering for the GAA and the rugby, I worked at the crush and knew all, half a lot of the parents around the town. I was vetted four or five times, you know, for different things that I did around the town. I did uh, organized public events for the Dingle Business Chamber. You know, like I did a lot. I was very, very active in the community. And that is boiled down and distilled to four houses. Four. Mm -hmm. Of all the people I know, you know, it's just not very many. There's maybe a few that have people say, oh, yeah, call me if you need anything. a lot of times people don't really mean that. But, you know, there's four that I could feel like I could show up in the middle of the night if something was an emergency.
1: Well, That's thank not you a, to those four. Thank you to what? those four. I said thank you to those four who stood by you. you
2: Absolutely. Know, Abs- you know. I mean, I couldn't say anything. I won't mention them because they probably no. want the emergency. But I, I couldn't. I couldn't be more thankful. I couldn't.
1: Yeah. And Sharon, listen, thank you again for coming on and, and talking. And, you know, you are a voice for a lot of people, way, way too many. One is too many who are going through this right now. Um, and I know our listeners are, you know, supportive of you. And again, it's important that, that they hear that and, and many others do as well Hear What is the human reality? Of of being homeless today, um, in Ireland and in that situation, and what should be done, you know, as you've said out there, what could be done. Um, hopefully you will get that mobile home very soon. Um, and you know, you do need to mind yourself absolutely as much as you can. And we are here. I know Tony and myself, and um, in terms of, are always here to come on and talk about. <laughs> You know, how it's going. Um it is such an important you've such an important story to tell, such an important experience. Um and I hope that many more listen to you here and hear you. Um and I hope you do get that home that you deserve and that is a human right very, very soon. Thank you. And that was uh Sharon Crandall there, um, from West Kerry um, in a situation just just heartbreaking. Um on so many levels and you know i think it's so important that this podcast is shared around as much as possible if you can please share it send it on to your politicians um you know there's so many people need to hear what is the reality what is the experience that human experience of being homeless the insecurity the mental health impact um as she described that loss of your anchor which is your home the grief um and there is there is 166,000 vacant homes, as many more derelict properties. There needs to be emergency interventions, even beyond the eviction ban, to address this. We need that state construction company set up immediately. We need private companies, um, whether you say taken over or paid to go rapidly renovate and do up the vacant and derelict properties. They need to be. We need rapid use it or lose it. From property owners, and this is just wrong. We cannot allow this tsunami of trauma continue, um, and there is so much that can be done. So thank you to Sharon for sharing her story, and if you want to share yours, please come on to reboot. You can contact me, Rory Hearn, on Twitter or on Instagram, Um, and yeah, let us know. Please share this around. As I said, send it on, Um, and there's also the petition you can sign on Uplift My Uplift forward slash um, gaffes for all which includes that the number of the uh, the asks around um, ending homelessness um a long eviction ban um, and rapid construction of homes and use of derelict derelict and vacant buildings and we need to make housing a human right and get it into our constitution um listen that was a, a really important podcast uh, thanks again Sharon for doing it um and we will talk to you all very soon.